Hi, just wanted to stop by and say that Jenna is my guest today. You've already heard her in an episode of Topic Talks. This is her solo interview that we did before actually we recorded the Topic Talks. It was her great ideas of telling me that she was going to send me some topics that she keeps a list of topics and to give me some topics to have some discussions about because we were talking about having a round table and having multiple people come on to talk about certain subjects. And when we got done with all of that, we started texting back and forth over the next few days. And I asked her if she would be willing to join me for some of those topic talks. She said yes. And so that was how all of that came into being. And I am so grateful for her, for her time, for her insight, for her suggestion and her willingness to be a part of this whole thing. As you're hearing this today, we will be having another Topic Talk episode coming up in a couple of weeks. Jenna will be joining me again. I am almost 100% certain that Bentley will be there to join us again as well. And maybe we'll have another surprise guest that will join us at the same time. Stay tuned for that. Also, we are now on not just Apple Podcasts, but also on Spotify. So if you don't have an Apple product, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify or on the website where you can listen to it or you can download it and listen to it later. I hope you enjoy this interview. Thanks for joining me again today. Stories, we all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks, and I'd like to know What's your story? Hello, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks, the podcast that is about celebrating women, sharing women's stories, and giving women the platform to talk about their lives, their wisdom, and their journey. Today, please welcome my friend, Jenna, and she is someone I've been following on Instagram for a while. She is a yogi, she owns a business with her husband, and she's just this little firecracker in heels. She's a yoga teacher and she guides her students in a way that is safe, functional, and provides a foundation for them to move with awareness on and off the mat. Jenna has a passion for showing students just how capable they really are and how important it is to love themselves. Speaking of love, Jenna is a lover of life, of love, and of high heels. Jenna, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. What a great introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would love it if you would tell the listeners just a little bit more personal about yourself other than what I just had to say, because I've been following you, uh, gosh, I would say probably for close to four or five years, something like that, maybe. Yeah. So didn't you almost the beginning, I think. I think so. Didn't you used to own a yoga studio at one point in time? No, I never have owned a yoga studio. I just traveled a lot to different studios. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that sort of the life of a of a yoga teacher is to travel from studio to studio? Oh my gosh, it really is. I was sitting in my car on Tuesday and I have like a little um gauge in my car that tells me how long I've been in my car since I started my day. Since I first started my car that day. And I was on my way home. It was like, I don't know, 8, 8.30 at night. And it said I'd been in my car for three hours. And I was like, wow, I'm really wasting my time of my life just driving. <laughs> when you're driving, are you listening to podcasts? Are you listening to Audible? Are you having conversations with yourself? Are you yelling at other drivers? What's, what's going on in your car? <laughs> well, you know, I think it depends on the day and the time of day. I In the mornings, I tend to turn off all volume turn off any audio books, any podcasts, not even music and just listen and drive. And some mornings I'm driving through rush hour. And for some reason, it just helps me stay calm, not having any noise. Like I can just get into, it's like my moment of calm before my chaos starts of the day, I think, even though there's (laughs) chaos around me. (laughs) But I do, I do enjoy listening to podcasts and audio books and music. Yeah. So what's up on your, on your audio book that you're listening to these days? Oh my gosh. So I kind of bounce all over the place. I'm listening to Quiet, which is a book on introverts and extroverts. 
Um, yeah, explaining it. And it's I'm still like in the beginning of all of my audiobooks. Um, <laughs> I'm also listening to a book called it, I think it's called It Didn't Start With You or It Doesn't Start With You. And it's kind of explaining how we end up where we are based on the trauma and experiences of our parents and even of their parents and how like you can't necessarily blame yourself for all of your issues or blame like any behaviors or actions on the way you were raised but some of it's just in your dna it's just in yourselves and it's a really interesting book as well I, I need to check that out because it's something that I've talked with um, with a couple of other guest interviews that we've talked about stories and talking about how a story is, we're all made up of stories, all the stories of our life, all the things that we do, but sometimes you can use that to then lock yourself into a specific box. Mm-hmm. You can use that to create some sort of a victim sort of a space um, or attitude of how you live your life. And then I was talking with someone about the fact that we can get passed on these genetic stories that aren't even ours to own. And somehow we take them on. They get indoctrinated. They come in the DNA, but they yeah. get reinforced by our family environment. And those are some of the hardest stories to unravel and realize that we don't have to keep passing those on or holding on to them and living them every day. So I'll yeah. have to check that book out because that really sounds interesting to me. Yeah, I highly recommend it. And I'll send, I can send you the link to it too. It's, so it's Great. called, it, it Didn't Start With You and it's by Mark Woolin. Good, I, I'll yeah, have to check that one really out. really good. Yeah, we were going through some stuff in the family and I was like, okay, I said that to my siblings. I was like, okay, everybody read this. <laughs> <laughs> How many, siblings, sister. How many um, siblings do you have? I have one older sister and two younger brothers. So you're you're kind of you're sort of the middle child. Yeah, I'm in the middle. Yeah, there's a lot of extended family, and I've um, lost contact with some step siblings that I'd had from mar- marriages. So I've come from a split family and many marriages extending mm-hmm. from that. So and lots of people. Lots of people <laughs> in and out. <laughs> it makes it. Here goes to like me being authentic. This goes to, I have um, a girlfriend that just moved to San Francisco. My sister is moving to Seattle. Otherwise, everyone that is in my family still lives here. And I was talking to somebody the other day. I was like, I'm really good at goodbyes for some reason. Like, I will miss you and I love you, but I'm just really good. Like, it's okay. You can go. You can go do your thing and be on your own and experience your life. And I'm not going to hold that against you. And I'm not going to dwell on you leaving. Like, I'm good at goodbyes. <laughs> Can You could say that you're good at goodbyes. But what that kind of says to me is that you're not a person that is a clencher. Like, you don't hold too tightly to at least to the people that are in your life. And so that gives you the capacity to still hold love and space for them to be exactly who they are without trying to make them bend to whatever it is that makes you feel better, which is incredible, actually. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, I think I think you're right about that. <laughs> um, it, it can be really difficult. It's interesting. I've, I've read a book called The Power of Habit. I don't know mm-hmm. whether you've and it's all about how habits are created in the body. And one of the best descriptions that was in the book was he talked about you move into a new house and it has a really long driveway. Mm-hmm. And when you back down the driveway, you have to really pay attention so you don't go off into the ditch on either side. And it takes a lot of attention and a lot of your ability to really zero in and focus in on what you're doing. And he says, and all of a sudden, you don't realize the shift that happens, but you've done it enough times that your brain can now file that into a space where it's created a habit and you don't have to think about it anymore. You can just zip right on down your driveway. And he said, that is what happens with a lot of things that we have repetitive actions in our lives is that in the beginning, it's in the forefront of your brain and you have to really pay attention to it. And the brain naturally then files it back so that you can think about other things while still going about your day and doing certain things. And it, Mm -hmm. it, it was a little frightening to me just how easy it is for a habit to happen and how hard it seems like it's harder to break a habit than it is to make a habit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I think that creating habits almost become just unconscious. <laughs> well, <laughs> based on the book, I would agree with you. That, that's really what he had to say is that, you know, it, it happens because your brain needs it to happen that way. And but reversing know, so. that isn't quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about your yoga journey. How long you've been practicing yoga? So I've been practicing yoga, I think it's been 10 years. 
10 or so years. And I was really resistant to it in the beginning. I had a girlfriend, a coworker who was going through teacher training. And for months, she would try to convince me to go. And it just wasn't my thing. I grew up LDS. And I think that that left some ingrained opinions about yoga and other sorts of like spiritual experiences. (laughs) And so I was really resistant to it. I wasn't practicing at the time, but I just wasn't, wasn't into anything spiritual or I considered it like this hooky witchcraft type of practice, right? (laughs) I didn't know anything about it. It was all just assumptions. And so finally, one day she was going through her um, practicals, I think, and she said, she said, I really need bodies in my class. Can you please, please come Mm -hmm. for me? And I said, fine, I'll do this for you. Right. I'll go to yoga for you. And so I did. And I wasn't hooked right away. I was like, I could take it or leave it. And I ended up going to a couple classes with her just to help her out. And then I ended up finding a little bit of peace for some reason that I didn't even know was there. Um, stepping onto my mat and it grew slowly and my practice started pretty basic. It was all just physical. I was going to just create pretty shapes and I was naturally flexible. So it made sense in my body. And then over, I think it was 2012, I found a new studio. I had to travel quite far for it, but I bought like a Groupon or something for it. So I had to use it before it expired. (laughs) And the first class I took there, my mind was blown. Like it was like a whole, it's like, I didn't know yoga until I stepped into this studio. Um, I didn't know that there were eight limbs. I didn't know that the breath and meditation and, you know, all of the encompassing things aside from the poses completely opened my mind and within three, four months, I was enrolled in teacher training. So do you think that it had to do just with the instructor or was part of it with the environment that you were in? I think all of it. I think, yeah, I think it all had something to do with it. The instructors was very knowledgeable and had no, still has no problem um, sharing the philosophy and the wisdom of the history of the practice, which was just all new to me. And his understanding of the body and anatomy also helped intrigue me and like, oh, I'm not just flailing around on my mat. Like there's some actual (laughs) effort happening here. (laughs) There's actually a purpose to me being here. So were you a gymnast or a dancer or anything cheerleader or anything like that when you were younger? Okay. Um, I did cheer for two years in high school, but I went to a very small charter school. So it wasn't like you had to really be good at anything. They let anybody do (laughs) (laughs) If I'm being honest. (laughs) I'm I'm always curious about how people, you know, get to that point. It's, uh, for me, it was like, I was a dancer from the time I was four until I was 22. And I played competitive softball for God, 35 years. So I was always moving. And as a kid, Mm -hmm. it was always my mom would shove us out the door and say, go outside and play. And we'd go outside and play and forever, you know, time where you could be out in your neighborhood, riding your bikes, running around, and you didn't have to worry about anything. Although there were times when I wanted to spend more time reading and she would think I was outside. She'd (laughs) find me in my closet reading with a flashlight. But that's that's a part of why she put me in ballet. It's like, she, you know how to to read and do everything else at four. Let's send you to ballet so you can learn how to move. Oh, wow. But my first yoga class that I walked into was an Iyengar based class and all of the body placement and the old dancer and me went, I kind of like this. This is really kind of cool. And I walked out feeling lighter and taller from where I started that yoga class. And so I kind of did off and on, on my own. I used an old book from, I think it was from the seventies by a guy named Richard Hittleman. And it was this woman in tights and a leotard. (laughs) And it was like the 28 days of yoga or something. And so it was very interesting. And there each day had a pose and then there was a description behind it and then sort of some aspects around yoga but it was that was sort of my first sort of in-depth thing with yoga and so it was really not that traditional path of just walking into a class and you know i was stuck Mm -hmm. from there but after 25 years my practice has totally changed it's it's interesting what happens with your body and how you have to make adjustments that you never thought you would have to do (laughs) Hey, even not as long as 25 years, I've, my practice has changed quite a bit on just what's important. Um, once I step onto my mat, different. So you said you were, you started in teacher training after how long you went to the studio where you really fell in love? 
I want to say it was probably three or four months. And I had been practicing for maybe three or four years up to that point. And I had people ask me constantly if I was a teacher, if I wanted to become a teacher. And I really was never interested because I'm I'm a pretty quiet person. I'm yeah. pretty introverted. I don't like to be the center of attention. I don't like to be in, um, I know, <laughs> that's usually the reaction I get. <laughs> um, I don't like to speak in front of people. Like all of this was like my past, right? And so I went to t- teacher training just to learn more and to develop my practice a little bit deeper. And the moment I stepped in to teach my first practice class, I was like, okay, well, this is where I belong. This, I don't want to do anything else. And my voice just came to life and I felt confident and comfortable. And to be able to share a practice that transformed my way of living so much, yeah. um, I how could I not share that? Well, and it's, it's so much around service for me mm-hmm. and yeah. for most yoga instructors that I've met, it really is around service. And I have learned so much about my body. I have learned so much about aging and functional movement and somatic movements and, you know, some things that would be considered non-traditional yoga, but that really help because my yoga base, my client base is, is mostly midlife and older. It's one of those things where it's like, to me, yoga is like Pandora's box almost. You mm-hmm. get started in one space and it just sort of explodes. And I've used yoga therapy for folks that have had strokes, that have had joint replacements. And it, it's just been this incredible learning experience. I have had a couple of people who come to my class and say, I'm so glad I found you. And I used to take from this class where the teacher would walk around the room with her eyes closed, just telling us what to do. And she said, I felt like it was just this big ego thing. And it really put me off yoga. And my friend, you know, told me that I needed to come and take your class. And I'm so Mm -hmm. glad that I did only because I've been practicing yoga for so long. And I've been teaching for almost 17 years before Mm -hmm. it was like the thing to do. Yeah. And so yoga and teaching yoga has changed. And there are so many yoga teachers that just get ground through the system and come out. Yeah. And that's a whole other scu- discussion, the whole thing around <laughs> I agree. yoga. I feel like we need, I need to do like a round table with some yoga teachers where we can talk about it, but it's very dangerous. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> great. Great. Um, so I would love to like touch just really quick on what you were saying sure. about the um, student that went to one yoga class and just really wasn't interested in it and yes. was recommended to come to you. I hear that so often where I, invite someone to go to yoga or yoga comes up in conversation and and I ask them if they practice or if they're interested in it more times than not if they're not practicing yoga but they have gone it's just because they had a really bad first experience with a teacher and I think it's really important as teachers to like remember that we're not only leaving an imprint for that hour or that time that they're there but it's going to impact the way that they see yoga in the future and Oh, like you said, I could open, <laughs> we could do a whole discussion on all of this. <laughs> yeah. but, um, well, this is sort of my mantra when people ask me about yoga and being a teacher is I believe that there is a style of yoga and an instructor for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that if you've gone and taken a class or you've been somewhere where there's an instructor or a workshop or something and you came away from that whole experience going not so much mm-hmm. keep, keep trying. keep trying go somewhere yeah. else go to a different studio find a different instructor find yeah. a different environment because environment is key yeah. you can either feel that connection the minute you walk through the door or you can't there are a lot of people out there walking around in their bodies that don't live in their bodies so mm-hmm. it's a very scary thing i started out teaching in a health club environment because that was where the opportunity was yeah. and it was less around some of the the heavy spiritual stuff and more about just making people feel that they could be successful when they step through the door yeah and most heavy yoga students don't realize how intimidating it is for those that have never been to a yoga studio to walk through that door and come into a class. And I think that it's so, what you said is so right on is that we are not just there impacting someone's life for the hour or however long that we have them as a captive audience, that they take that off the mat into their life for the rest of their lives. We, We leave that memory with them. It's a pretty 
big responsibility <laughs> and we don't get paid that much for that big responsibility. <laughs> so you, if you're yeah. going to do it, you do it because you love it, not because oh. you're, you're trying to make a million make dollars a doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. And that's one thing that I'm extreme, that I've been extremely grateful for that, like you had mentioned, my husband and I have a business. So I, I don't teach yoga because I have to. And I'm very grateful for that because I know that that is the case for a lot of people. And I think that that's great for them also. But I think that that the passion that I have for it and the drive that I have just to make people feel better. Like, I feel like that would shift a little bit if it was out of necessary necessity versus doing it because I love it and doing it because I want to see that. How many grow. classes are you? Yeah. How many classes a week are you teaching right now? I teach 10 classes a week. Ooh, that's a lot, sweetie. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then that leads me to the next question is what do you do to nurture yourself or take care of yourself so that you don't reach that burnout? Because there are sometimes, I mean, at one point in time, I was working full time. My daughter was still at home teaching 10 to 12 yoga classes a week. And I was the burnout queen. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't aware enough to realize that I needed to take care of myself. Yeah. So what do you do when you wake up and you go, I can't do one more goddamn down dog today? Seriously, I don't. I don't do any more. <laughs> I go to the gym. <laughs> what were you going to say? Well, I just, I, I've been watching, I've been following you with your gym stuff that you do on Instagram. And I love it because I've really watched you sort of transform from when you walk through the door not that long ago yeah. in the gym to, to where you are today and was just watching your stories this morning where you were doing the push-ups and saying, I couldn't, before I couldn't even do one. Yeah. I remember a time when I could not even do one push. I mean, this was 10 years ago before I think maybe right in the beginning of my yoga practice I was like, Oh, Chaturanga, what? Like I can't <laughs> No. <laughs> my full-time job is a business manager for a health club, a fitness facility. Mm -hmm. And I teach there as well. And it really is about that experience of, I love teaching yoga, but I like to be physically active. I walk, I lift, mm -hmm. I you know, do a lot of different things. And yoga is just one piece of that. And yeah. when people say, well, is all you do is yoga? And it's like, no, because I know that my shoulders feel better when I'm lifting regularly. Mm -hmm. I yeah. know that there are certain poses that I like to do that if I don't have that extra added, there's a yeah. lot of pushing motion in yoga and there's not yeah. a lot of pulling motion yeah. in yoga and you need to have both sides of that. So that's why I really love that you have the yoga and you also have the gym piece because it really does show that they are complementary to each other. Yeah, thank you. You know, and the gym is something I started just oh, maybe 20 months ago. So almost, yeah, about 18, 20 months ago, I started lifting weights and going to the gym because previously it was, I get the question is all you do is yoga. Yeah, I'm so lucky. All I can, you know, all I have to do is yoga. And, uh, <laughs> and then I turned 30. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but as soon as I started lifting and adding the weight training into my routine, poses that were challenging to me that I haven't even returned to since all of this. Like it was hard for me. I'm never going to do it again. I'd come to it two years later and be able to do it. I wasn't practicing it for two years, but I've built strength supporting in my muscles to be able to support those poses. And that was pretty powerful for me as well. I believe that the weightlifting builds self-confidence. It Absolutely. you hold, you hold your body differently, you mm -hmm. move differently. If especially if you're doing the functional movement pieces and not just lifting for the aesthetic pieces, but you're mm -hmm. actually doing them to increase your range of motion or all of that sort of thing is that it really helps you build that confidence. You hold yourself with confidence. And that when, like you said, when you approach something that you stopped doing because you couldn't feel that you could do it, and then you haven't been practicing and all of a sudden you walk in and do it, it's like, you know, that's a pretty big deal. Something's working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something's working is right. Yeah. <laughs> so what else do you do for your self-care? Oh, you know, I'm pretty good at self-care. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's good. Yeah, I'm really, I'm very aware of my emotions and my needs. I feel very lucky that I, maybe I've worked towards that or it's something that's come a little bit natural to me, but I know when I am, when a burnout is 
coming or here, or I struggle with depression also up and down. And I know I can feel when it is at that point of needing to do something, of needing to get things back in line and back in check and to take a break and to take a pause. So when I feel that way, those emotions coming in and those feelings, I sort of just step back and evaluate what have I let go of? Like, what is it that I'm no longer, that's no longer in my schedule or in my routine that I know is bringing me peace and bringing me joy? Like, have I stopped practicing yoga? Have I stopped going to my group classes? Have I stopped doing my personal practice at home? Have I stopped going to the gym? Have I started eating like crap? Have I started drinking more regularly? All of those things, I kind of just step back and evaluate those. But Once I get back into those routines, other things I do for self-care, bubble baths. I love like, just like like set up a date for yourself, like get some bubble bath going, turn on some music, light some candles, you know, really take care of yourself. Spa days. Like I'm really good at treating myself in in that way also. (laughs) Get your hair done, get your nails done. I mean, it doesn't have to be... Yeah, and it doesn't have to be that for everybody, but I know that that makes me feel better. When you, I think, when you feel better about yourself physically, it shifts your mind as well, your emotions as well. Well, when you think about those inner mean girl conversations that mm-hmm. happen sometimes when you look at yourself in the mirror and yeah. you don't, you maybe are not seeing yourself as other people see you, but you're looking and picking yourself apart. That sometimes just getting your hair done and people can call it superficial or whatever it is. But I think that we have to be able to own that piece of ourselves that makes us feel better about what we're doing. It's one of those things where one of my previous guests is we're both in our fifties and we talked about looking in the mirror and what we see in the mirror is not the person, the girl that we still are inside. Right. Yeah. And that having to deal with things looking different and body changes and things and no one really, and nobody really, we don't in our society, we don't talk about menopause. We don't talk about a lot of those things. And so it makes it feel so that it's kind of like you're you're not supposed to, we don't, we don't talk about that. Yeah. It's shameful. Don't (laughs) speak And having a sense of humor about the whole thing Mm -hmm. is the most important thing. So she is a hairstylist and she was talking about, she's like, you know, I like to try all the new makeup and I like to do hair and I like to have my hair look a certain way. And, you know, I still like to wear my, my Levi's and my boots and, you know, Mm -hmm. this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, she's like, I know that's going to sound vain to some people. And I said, you know what? I think we just have to own what Mm -hmm. we know makes us feel better and not make apologies and not expect anybody else to give their approval that we have our own approval and that's all that matters. You know, I just, anybody goes, oh, you get your nails done. Oh, you go and get your, your toes done. Oh, you, it's like, you know, Where you, you? Do, <laughs> <laughs> you do you baby. I'm going to do, do me. you. Bo. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so true. I mean, a podcast on judgment could be a whole nother segment as well. <laughs> well, you know, that, that, that's another one I would like to get together a little, do a little group forum and, and and have a conversation about judgment and shaming as it pertains to the yoga world and just every day in life. I've been listening to an audiobook called Good and Mad by Rebecca Traister, and it's all about women's anger and mm-hmm. how we have been generation after generation after generation told it's not okay for us to be angry. It's yeah. not okay for us to express our emotions. It's not okay for us to express our anger. It's not okay for us to cry when we're angry, that we hear things like you're too emotional. Oh, it's ugly when a woman gets mad. And you know mm-hmm. what it comes down to is it fucking scares men. Yeah, They don't know They're how to deal with it. Yeah. No, They don't know how to deal with it. They don't even know how to put words around it because we have been so repressed. But Mm -hmm. I feel that a part of what's going on with women and you can, I think, tie it down to chronic illness and other things is that we have suppressed for so long that Mm -hmm. it is. And I think what's going on now is that women are starting to express their anger. They're starting to step forward and say, you know what? I'm fucking mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. And you're yeah. just going to have to suck it up. And, you're going to have to take it. it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I have worked in technology off and on for years. I worked in technology back before there were many women. One of the one things where I was in Brotech before they called it Brotech. Oh my and, gosh. And, and working with men, you know, I always had a lot of men. I love men. I've had yeah. great relationships. Some of my best friends are men. Totally. And worked with men and had great mentors that were men. But I've also been in situations where I was in charge of certain things and they didn't like the mouthy, tall, blonde woman telling mm -hmm. them what they could and couldn't do. And right. it was something, it was a wall I bounced off against many times before mm -hmm. I finally walked away from technology entirely. But I truly think that as women, we've been sold this bill of goods that we can't express ourselves the way we truly want to do. We can't be exactly who we really are inside that we feel we have to censor what we have to say. Yeah. We're afraid of what someone's going to say, how they're going to judge us. You look at things like social media is, am I going to lose my followers for this? All yeah. sorts of things go into play that are this governing mode of keeping us from being able to fully speak our truth and we live really our are. truth. Yeah. And so that's a part of this whole thing of me creating this platform on both my blogs and my podcast is a space for women to be exactly who they are. All mm -hmm. of it messy, beautiful, the good stuff, the bad stuff, and everything in between, and that we celebrate each other because what's happened is I believe that society has tried to keep us separated because then it can control. Yeah. And there is a whole thing that has happened with starting it may be before the Women's March, but what I noticed was it happened after the Women's March happened. And it was People, women coming together and realizing that we've been pitted against each other for so many years and that if we come together, we are powerful and we can get shit done. And that yeah. scares that scares men because they can't control so. it. Yeah, I agree. We are absolutely stronger together. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how you came into working with your husband every day and how does that work when you work together and live together? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> so it's a third generation business. So his grandfather opened the business in the 80s. And I started working for them in 2008, uh, just office work. And so since then, so for 10 years, my husband and I have been working together in pretty close proximity, sharing an office at some point. And, uh, you know, for, I wish I had like a secret key to making that work. It just worked. I mean, my husband and I, we like each other. I mean, I think it kind of boils down to that. Like we really, truly love each other. We'd really, truly like each other. We enjoy being around each other and spending time together. We're both respectful people. We don't yell at each other. We don't scream at each other. We don't curse at each other. Oh, like we, I love that. We make it work. <laughs> well, and um, it sounds like your relationship started where you guys were working together in the office. No. Or no. no. Did so, you know each other before that? Yeah, we oh. um, have been together since 2003. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've been together for quite some time and married. We were married maybe a year before I started working. Uh, we started working together. Now I have stepped away from the office. So we aren't spending so much time together at the office and not because we weren't doing well together at the office, but I wanted to focus more on my yoga business and see where I can grow that. Yeah. I, like I said, I wish I had like a secret recipe for being able to work well with my husband, but it just well, I You know, I think that you had some keys there was that you are respectful with each other. You like each other yeah, and you can love someone and not necessarily like them. But it's interesting in my focus group, I sent out some questionnaires and, and asked people because some of those people that are in that focus group have been married for 30 plus years and mm -hmm. said, you know, what do you think the key is to the longevity of your marriage? And a lot of them were like, I don't know. Yeah, it just worked. <laughs> and it, because they haven't really thought about it or yeah. no one's ever asked them bef about it before. So they, mm -hmm. you know, to them, that's their, after 30 years, that's just their everyday normal life. Yeah. But the majority of the people who responded that were in long-term relationships talked about the fact that they liked each other 
they cared about each other. Mm -hmm. They supported each other. Like they were always, they had each other's backs. It was more like a partnership. partnership, Yeah. From the the standpoint that you just figure out how to work together and, and you maximize each other's strengths and try and fill in for the other person's weaknesses and realize that it's not always going to be a hundred percent that some days you're going to only have five percent and the other person's going to have to pick up 95. Absolutely. But you're going to be grateful for that when you're the one with five percent and you're needing a little extra support. Correct. Correct. So, so don't feel like you were, when I put you on the spot, I was like, I don't, I don't really know know. because a lot of people don't, because I think it either works or it doesn't. I think it's one of those things that if you, if you say, okay, we need to do this, this, and this in order to make our relationship work, you're going to go. Like that's entertaining, but no. (laughs) I know that you have done some more training after your 200 hours and Uh you mentioned yoga therapy, yoga medicine, yoga medicine. Mm -hmm. Are you still in the midst of doing that particular training? Cause I know that's quite a long training. Yeah. I have finished all of my courses to, for my, to complete my 500 hour. I just have to do um, in this training, we have case studies where we have to work with clients one-on-one for some amount of time for each training section that we've done. So I am in the process of doing those to finish that. But yeah, my course, my coursework is completed for that. So did you travel all over the world to all the various places? I did a few. Yeah, I was in Thailand for two of them. Um, I did Chinese medicine and myofascial release in Thailand. That was my first module in 2014. I think it was maybe 15. And then I was in, I think that's the only international one I did. I did a training in Sedona. I did one in Napa. And I did one in New York. Well, she's Seattle based. She is. Um, yeah. Yeah. So she, I mean, she's just across the big water for me. And I just, I keep wanting to do it, but I, there's so many other things going on in my life. I just haven't found the time yet, but yeah. I'm well, what's really at- great about it is it's really at your own pace. Like I said, I think it took me Correct. three years to get through just those, those courses that I did. Well, it, it's interesting. I just did an interview with Steph Gongora, Casa Colibri, mm-hmm. and yeah. she's, you know, she's been going through doing a lot of the, the yoga medicine training as well. She just did the cadaver anatomy. Oh yeah. That one, one a, a couple months ago. So <laughs> yes. yeah. So we had, a, we had a conversation about that and just, cause we were talking about influences. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll ask you, who has been someone who's been influential for you in your yoga journey? Oh, in my yoga journey? Yeah. Um, hands down, Tiffany. Tiffany Crookshank has been, is she's an amazing role model for anybody in, in this field. She, she really knows her shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, knowing your shit is always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, sh- and, and really so many I don't want to just say women because there are men in the program, but I have met so many smart, strong, supportive, wonderful women through yoga medicine, like just such an incredible group of people. I think that when you put that sort of energy out like Tiffany does, that that energy attracts Mm -hmm. people seeking the same thing. And I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, it absolutely does. Let me ask you this. Because I I watched you go to the the Aloe Yoga gathering of all of those those Aloe Yoga folks, and yeah. I, it's interesting. I started wearing Aloe Yoga before they were Aloe Yoga. They were just Aloe. Nobody knew who the hell they were. Their their clothes were not that awesome in the yeah. beginning. Um, I had a friend here um, where I live who ran a a like a sporting goods store for women, and she found the the brand and and would pick and choose the pieces that she felt were the best. And then all of a sudden they exploded onto the scene Mm -hmm. and then just sort of took over Instagram. And it was sort of an interesting transition to watch happen. They really changed their fit and a lot of different things when they started. And now I see in this last catalog that they've included some more plus size Uh models in the whole 
ad campaign, which is yeah. interesting to me because I, I kind of got away from wearing aloe because I wasn't their age demographic demographic, and I wasn't their size demographic. So uh -huh. it, it made it a little difficult for me, but I do love some of their new stuff. So you guys all got together for a weekend and I'm assuming it was just to kind of bring the whole tribe together and yeah. hang out together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was basically just like a a meetup of of the influencers and the people on Instagram that they've brought into their tribe and it was really quite a a really neat experience to be able to meet face to face so many people that you've built online relationships with for some of them for as long as you and I right for four or five right. years some of these ladies yeah. to be able to get that in person and FaceTime with each other and really build that connection on a deeper level was really quite a neat experience. I have met several <laughs> different people off of Instagram um, mm -hmm. in person. And for the most part, I've met some incredibly wonderful human beings yeah. and spent some time with people. And it's always interesting. Some people have a love-hate relationship with social media. Yeah. I think some people take it a little <laughs> too seriously. And yeah. I've just noticed, and I don't know whether you have, but in the last maybe two years, 18 months, two years, that it seems like there's a lot more vitriol. There's a lot more of some nasty comments and mm -hmm. people firmly passing judgments on things that has made it very difficult for me at times to want to stay connected with all of that. Yeah, I, I relate to that completely i've definitely i mean speaking of burnout earlier like i've definitely gone through my instagram burnout like oh come on, if i if i have to post one more thing come up with one more creative caption i don't know if i'm gonna be able to handle it but i agree in the last i've noticed a shift in the last like you said probably 18 months or so and i don't want to make any generalizations but i really think a lot of it stems from jealousy and insecurity yes. Yes, that's exactly my take on the situation. And, you know, as coming from someone who's outside the age demographic for that whole thing, I have a much different perspective. Mm -hmm. As a yoga, a longtime yoga instructor, I am a little concerned sometimes with how yoga is portrayed and digested. Okay. Yeah. Especially with newbie people who haven't been to a class who haven't had an instructor help them and they're trying to learn yoga from what they're seeing on Instagram yeah. or something like that. YouTube, YouTube's a little bit better than Instagram, but yeah. it concerns me from the standpoint for a while there, it seemed like all anybody ever wanted to do was handstands and arm balances and all yeah. these complicated poses. And there's so much beauty in yoga that just being rooted and grounded in a warrior two is mm -hmm. an incredible pose. But I see some of these people and they either, they think if they can do those yoga poses, they'll be a better person or they'll look like the person that they're idolizing. Yeah. If they wear certain clothing, if, <laughs> you know, all of these things. And it's like, when I started, so I've probably been on Instagram, I don't know, six years maybe. And when I first started, it was, I was just taking pictures of my walks on the beach of weird stuff I found laying on the ground. And yeah. then I started running into other <laughs> yoga people and they started doing these yoga challenges. And I was like, wow, mm -hmm. this is really kind of a cool way to yes, do this yeah. and learning how to take photos and how to edit them and mm -hmm. how to set up captions and do all of that. And the artistic freedom and all of that was yes yeah. yes and and that was where i met people like gordon ogden uh -huh. and don monkey mix and when uh -huh. they okay, what was it what was the name of the challenges that they used to do they did inspired yogis yes yeah oh, my, that was my favorite <laughs> yeah me too and i think so, my, that's where i started i think <laughs> that's where i started yeah. too and you know and that's when pat bailey was in the group uh -huh. and all of that and that was really it allowed me to to have some creativity around mm -hmm. all of that and it was fun and people were supportive and it was uplifting and it was an incredible whole circumstance and that's how i met heidi mm -hmm. who yeah. you know passed away not yeah. well it's been about a year or so ago but so it was just it was such an incredible time and it was really really supportive and yeah. i just feel like we've kind of 
lost track with there uh, there aren't that many challenges anymore i mean i know that you still do some mm -hmm. occasion yeah even i mean even the challenge dynamic has changed quite a bit like with inspired yoga i think something that was really powerful with all of that is it got you to practice every yes. day right those yes. challenges and they were all 30-day challenges like it wasn't yes. this 10-day stuff like you were on your <laughs> <clears throat> i hate to even say like you were on your mat practicing yoga every day because let's be real if you're going on taking a yoga picture you're not on your mat practicing <laughs> yoga <laughs> maybe pictures later of the same pose <laughs> yeah and you're all jacked up on one side because you've only been doing your side for the picture i mean trust me i've been there so I think that that was really unique in where it's transformed too, because it was something where you didn't know what was coming ahead of time. You waited right. anxiously the night before to see what yes. the pose was going to be for tomorrow and maybe how you needed to adapt your practice so that you could get into those poses later on. Like if you know it's a forward fold, maybe I'm going to be working on hamstrings and hips before I go to take my picture. And the community, I mean, it was so, yes. so supportive. Like in those challenges, everyone would comment on on everybody else's poses yeah. underneath the hashtag. And now I think it's just like, oh, it's so much more complicated on Instagram these days. It is. Everyone's I, uh, trying to just grow and get get what they can from Well, Instagram that whole influencer from, thing that yeah. happened, what, three years ago, or, yeah, or that's know. kind of, about three years ago is when I noticed that it kind of hit pretty heavy. Yeah, It, it was just, you know, and before mm -hmm. that, nobody, really thought about making money off of it. Mm -hmm. And of course, then Facebook bought Instagram and mm -hmm. things really started changing and there's video and stories and now there's yeah. IGTV and all uh, of these things yeah. beyond just being a, a place to, to post photos. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, I think that you were right. I mean, the, the inspired yogis was one of those, and, and I know it was a lot of work and they started out in the original thing was it would happen and then there'd be like a break for a little while and then and then mm -hmm. it was like almost every month and then mm -hmm. it was every other month and then mm -hmm. they decided to you know to to close the book put on that bed, and yeah. and put it to bed so mm -hmm. but it it was i think like you said everybody commented on the hashtags and everyone mm -hmm. was so, so supportive and you could do modifications if mm -hmm. that's what you needed to do and you didn't have to look like what everyone else looked like, that it yeah. allowed you the space to be able to practice and learn and grow. And then when you weren't in front of the camera to explore, it, it caused me to explore a little bit more about my practice that I'd gotten mm -hmm. a little lazy and complacent, complacent after so yeah. many years. Yeah. It's a whole new game now. <laughs> <laughs> I changed my personal account to a business account when I started working on my website and developing this podcast. And I, I still take some pictures, but it, it's a lot more targeted around talking about story. It's a lot more around trying to draw people in to pay attention to the stories that they have and the stories that they tell themselves and being able to write a new story or tell a new story or share their stories if that's what they want to do. I've gotten several people that have sent me DMs and said, thank you so much. And I love your podcast. And, you know, do you let like real ordinary people be guests? And I said, <laughs> all me. of these people that I'm talking to are real ordinary people. They're just yeah. like you and I. Yeah, They're just. Sure. I don't want to interrupt you, but I was, um, when you had reached out to me and said, Hey, and I read the little outline that you gave me said, I want you to share your story. I had almost like a little panic attack because maybe three months ago I went down, I got in my head really deep. Um, after listening to a few really inspiring podcasts, I was like, if I'm ever invited onto a podcast, I don't have a story. Like I don't have a story to share. And so I talked to some girlfriends about it and, uh, and I, I was like, I don't, I'm not like, I'm just an average girl. Like I'm just an average woman doing yoga, like nothing particularly inspiring about my story or where I come from. Like I grew up in a pretty easy life, you know, like, and, and so I've been struggling with, with that, with my story, because it's, I'm just, an average girl doing average things. <laughs> well, here's what I want to tell you, because how I started this was a focus group on Facebook that has about roughly 70 women in it, uh -huh. ranging in age from my newly 21-year-old niece, 
uh-huh. to someone who is about 70. Mm-hmm. I started out with a segment called Woman of the Week. Mm-hmm. And once a week, I would send out an email with questions similar to the ones I sent to you and ask them to write them down. And I would post it as a public blog post. They had the option to either not do it at all, but they Mm -hmm. would still be celebrated in the group as the woman of the week, whether they did the questionnaire or not. Mm -hmm. And they could fill it out and send it to me. If they wanted me to keep it (laughs) private, I would keep it private for them or they could, I could post it on the website. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, said some of the same things that you just said. I'm just an ordinary person. My stories aren't special. They are there. It's no big deal. But here's, here's where I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong. But what I'm going to tell you is, is look at it from a different perspective, that every single one of those little stories, whatever your, some of your favorite childhood memories are, things that happened when you were in school, things that happened as a young adult, how you met your husband, how you've come to the place where you are today. Those little stories have nuggets of wisdom in them. You learn something along the way. While you might not think it's important, Mm -hmm. someone else hearing that, that little nugget of wisdom, that little piece that you have to say can change their life. Yeah. And it's usually so, the simple things. It is. And yeah. and it's the things of I did this and this happened and then I I made this turn in the road or yeah. I stumbled into the same bucket for a couple of times or fell off the sidewalk once or twice and picked myself up and said, I really don't want to do that again. So yeah. what do I need to do differently? But it truly is, it it doesn't have to be earth shattering. It doesn't have to be world changing. It's just your story. And I believe that most women feel that their stories aren't important because nobody's ever asked them to tell their story. Yeah. Nobody's ever celebrated them. Nobody's ever called them forward to, to say, you know what, what you've done and where you are in your life is worth celebrating. So that is my whole thing is I've reached out to a lot of people on Instagram to do these interviews because they're people that I followed and resonated with me in, on some level and mm-hmm. not because of how many followers ha- someone has or how Insta famous they are or yeah. whatever that is. It truly is that there's been something that's come through and it's nowadays more through stories because I feel that people are a little bit more off the cuff, honest mm-hmm. and you know, in your face with who they truly are on their stories, sometimes more so than the posts that they post. They're not yeah. as curated, right? So when I know that me, when I do a post, I, you know, I, I edit the picture, I make sure everything looks good. I, I take the picture over a couple of times if it doesn't yeah. look good. And I, you know, want to come up with this great caption. But when I'm doing the stories, it's just like, I'm just whatever it is. It's just, uh, it's all hanging out there, baby. There are people that I have interviewed who have, they basically, my friend Brittany is like, you know, I have my own TV show every day on my Instagram <laughs> story. And so it's just, it's, it's interesting. It's a very different way of looking at life, but I've always been this person who is curious about where people come from, how they ended up where they are and the choices that they've made, some of the lessons that they've learned and how they navigate life on a daily basis. Because you mentioned, you know, sometimes struggling with depression. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a lot of shame around talking about that sort of thing, about mental illness, about anxiety. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves a story that it's okay not to tell someone else or it's okay not to ask for help. And that's one of the worst things that we can do, as I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. My daughter is a clinical psychologist and she works with a lot of different people with drug court, trying to keep people who have issues with drug addiction out of jail and helping them rebuild their lives. And it's a struggle. And she's been in probably every mental health facility in the state of Washington. And she said, mom, they are all scary as hell. So we don't do a very good job of taking care of that population. A lot of them are living on the streets and, you know, on the days when my anxiety and my depression have been really 
bad, Mm -hmm. I still have to wake up and go, I'm grateful I have a roof over my head and people that I can go to for help because there are people that, you know, don't have that option right now. Yeah, I agree. That's why, so I don't want you to think that you don't have a story that's important to share. It truly is the smallest things. Like you said, it's sometimes the most simple thing that has the most impact for someone else hearing it. Yeah. And I, and I, I think like my story, as far as like, like beginning to end, not end, but like where I am now, like the progression of everything, like growing up and that is where I'm like, I don't have a great story, right? I don't have like these huge trials and tribulations and all of that. But I think where I am confident and comfortable in my story is in the stuff that I share on on Instagram and my posts and stuff. It's just little nuggets of perspective and empowerment and lessons that I've learned without saying, hey, I've learned this because of this, but this right. is where I've arrived to. Yes. So then let's segue into that. What is something that you wish more women understood in their lives? Oh, so much. (laughs) I wish more women understood their worth, their value, their beauty in, in whatever way that they want to represent that. Right. If you, if you're a woman that feels beautiful and confident and comfortable full glam makeup dressed to the nine. Like, I love that. Go own that. Don't be ashamed because you enjoy making yourself look that way. And alternately, if you feel beautiful and confident without your makeup on in your sweatpants and going to the grocery store, like own that, like be comfortable (laughs) in what you, in who you are and what you have to offer. So I think that's one thing that I just wish more women understood their beauty and their worth and their value and their voice. Like I wish more women felt comfortable and confident to use their voice in any way that they need to, to navigate through life in saying no, in yelling no, if they have to, in being okay to vocalize what their heart is telling them and not be ashamed of the backlash that could come from that. Yes. Indeed. So tell me what balance looks like in your life. Oh, balance. For I'm kind of in a transitional period, like I had mentioned with work and not being at the office really maybe one day a week. So balance in that work, life, home, yoga balance was um, something that I really worked hard to achieve in carving out the right amount of time in in the different aspects that needed my attention in life. Um, You know, the number of hours at work and then the number of hours that I would be teaching and then finding that balance between working at the office and teaching and also finding a couple moments of quiet for myself in 30 minutes to listen to a podcast or 30 minutes to read a book or to sit in the bath or to, you know, anything that it was to kind of decompress from the stresses in the days. I think it's easy to get wrapped up in the hustle and in the grind of wanting to get to the end point. So you work your tail off in order to get there, but you're just going to burn yourself out. You're going to be kind of worthless at some point if you're not spreading out that self-care and that self-love throughout your day rather than just waiting until you're done, waiting until you've achieved your goal, (laughs) I think. Is there any sort of routine that you practice every morning before you get started with your day? No. (laughs) I know people ask me that and I'm like, I hit the snooze button twice. I roll and then out I looked bed. at my clock and went, oh shit, I only have a half an hour to get ready. I need to get rolling. Oh gosh, that's better than me. I, I hit news a couple times. I have my last alarm says, well, I've got one that says, girl, you've got to leave the house in 10 minutes. And that's the, that's my alarm label. And so that one's my last one. And then there's one that... There's one that's 10 minutes later that says, well, you've missed yoga. So now what are you going to do with your life? (laughs) I love it. That's perfect. Well, I'm going to ask you an off the cuff question. Okay. Take a deep breath. Oh gosh. If you could have any phrase on a giant billboard, what would it be and why? Um, Be nice. It's simple, but people forget to be nice. And that's that's it right like be nice be a kind person um and I tell my students when I end my classes 
if I end them in that way, you know, remember to be nice. And when you forget, be nice next time. Just keep, keep being nice. Keep trying. Well, and I think people also need to remember to be nice to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of the discord and the separation that people in other parts of the country from each other or just in other walks of life, whether it's financial, whether it's educational, whatever it is, that they don't feel seen or heard. Mm -hmm. And so they lash out at others because they haven't done the work to be able to see or hear themselves. And, or they've let fear get in the way. And so I just, I believe that the people who can't be kind or nice to other people, they really can't be kind or nice to themselves. And that's just an outward projection of what's going on inside. I agree completely. It makes it really hard. Uh, well, to, right. We can't make people do the work to <laughs> to get through those demons and those dark spaces. Like it has to be on them. <laughs> and I saw something. I don't remember whether it was on Instagram or where I saw it, but it was about remembering that not everybody is in the same place that you are. That mm-hmm. not everybody is in the same spot on their path that you are. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to move backwards and it doesn't mean that you have to leap forwards. It just means you have to have respect for where you are and respect for where somebody else is. Yeah, absolutely. I had to learn the hard way that you can't do the work for somebody else. You can't love them enough. You Mm -hmm. can't do everything for them enough without completely destroying yourself that right. you can you can hold space open for someone else to get there mm-hmm. but you can't do the work they have to do their own work yeah. and as someone who is a problem solver and a you know a fixer and a cheerleader and you know we you can do this kind of thing that was yeah. very hard for me to learn was that mm-hmm. i needed to and this is hard too, is to stay in my own lane. I'm not a person who likes to stay in my own lane. I don't like to color inside the lines. <laughs> but it became really clear to me that I had to stay in my own lane. I had to take care of myself. I could love someone. I could hold space for them, but mm-hmm. I couldn't do the work. And yeah. that was that was a big lesson for me to learn. It took too long for me to learn that. But um, And I think it's hard as a yoga teacher too, to remember that we can't make someone else show up for themselves. It's interesting. Certain classes that I've been teaching for some time have a lot of the same people that show up regularly. Like I teach a noontime yoga class on Fridays, Mm -hmm. noon on -hmm. a Friday, and I can have 25 people show up for that class. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me that it's the same group. And when I watch those people walk through the door and I know I'm not supposed to say this, but that is truly my favorite yoga class to teach. Oh yeah. I've said that about some of mine too. <laughs> because, because those people walk through the door and their energy changes mm-hmm. and they talk to each other. They're excited to be there. They're wondering what new thing I'm going to throw at them for today. Yeah. And, and it's a mixed level class and it moves at a much faster pace than my level one, but it's one that a level one person can do with some modifications. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just one of those things where I, I never take that for granted. And I tell them, I said, you know what? I said, I've had health issues go on. I've had so many things happen, but I get just as much energy from you guys when I teach this class as I give to you when mm-hmm. I'm teaching the class. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So it is. And it's one of those things where I just feel so honored to be able to witness that connection and have people come up and say, you know, I was doing something at work and I started to get stressed out and my boss said something mean to me or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I just dropped into my yoga breath. And she said, and two minutes later, I felt so much better. Oh, that's good. So, you know, things like that, those are the reasons why I keep teaching after all of these years and and everything that's gone on is that you can, and you put it so succinctly that we truly don't impact that person just for that hour that they're on their mat with us in that classroom, that they do take things out the door with them when they go out into the world. And that's that's very important. Yeah. And that return of energy is something that I don't take for granted as well. Like, like you had mentioned earlier, (laughs) earlier, like 
what do you do when you wake up in the morning? You just don't want to do one more downward facing dog. And, <laughs> and I think that where I feel most like most frequently my burnout is through teaching is I yeah. can't show up. I can't, I don't have the energy to show up and to give one more breath, one more pose, one more adjustment. And and I fight that and I want to call in and I want to get a sub and I want to take a break from teaching. But the moment I step in and my students start to arrive, I'm a whole different person. Like that's why, like that's why we continue to show up. Yes, it is. I went through two years of suffering with daily hives over 80% oh of my body. And it was one of the most horrendous experiences I've ever been through. And people were like, I can't believe you're still teaching through all of this. Mm -hmm. And how are you, you know, how are you doing this? And I said, you know what, the teaching for me allows me to get out of my own life, my yeah. own head, and be able to focus on my students. And it truly is transformative and helping me keep this all in perspective. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things. I mean, over the years I've taught after I had surgery and with chronic illness and all kinds of things. And it truly is for me that space where I can show up and give to my students and totally be in the moment, be present. I can walk through that door. Before I walk through the door, I'm going, I'm tired. I don't mm -hmm. feel good. I don't think I've, I've got enough to give this class, but I'm just going to yeah. go in and do my best. And usually within about 10 minutes, it, it totally changes my energy. Yeah. Yeah. It blows it, me away still after all these years of teaching. I'm like, I guess there's something to it. <laughs> well, and I had someone this summer ask me, you know, she said, well, how long have you been teaching? I said, 16 years. And she goes, and you're not, you're not tired of it. You're not bored with it. And I'm like, no, I'm yeah. not. Yeah. But I also, you know, every once in a while I take a vacation and, mm -hmm don't do any yoga. I don't do yeah. yoga myself. I just take time to breathe or walk the beach or eat or lay in bed all day and read or whatever it is. And then I come back and I'm refreshed and I'm ready to, mm -hmm. to, you know, be with my students again. But yeah. Well, if um, you ask me, that's still yoga. It's just not awesome. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so will you tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram and the interwebs? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is yogini in heels. And uh, I have a website. It's yogawithjenna.com. And that's it. Those are the two places I'm online. <laughs> well, that's great. That's that's perfect. I'll make yeah. sure to put those in the show notes so that everyone can find them. And thank you so much for your time today, Jenna. I so appreciate you doing this. And I so appreciate you moving beyond your, your little panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> I really appreciate you inviting me on. Well, it was something that I had been thinking about for a while as I was trying to plan out what I was going to do for the next interviews. And I was hoping that you would say yes when I invited you. So I, I, I appreciate you saying yes to being here. And I will be back in touch with you to we're going to put together some roundtable discussions with some other yoga people and get into the nitty gritty and, and have a good time together. Oh, so. I would love that. Great. All right. All Thanks right. again for being yeah. here. Thank you.